I've recently experienced what really kills low payroll teams more than anything else, and that's lack of depth. I mean, injuries happen to everyone, but not everyone has anybody ready to step in, and the Pirates are definitely in that situation. Um, that said, winning wasn't exactly a guarantee before some of these things started cropping up. Uh, good evening. Welcome back to the Fan Forum on DK Sports Podcasting Network. I am your host, Gary Morgan, and we have some great guests today to help us work through some bucko topics. First up, welcome back to the show, our good friend, Jim Stan. Hey, guys. How you doing? Good to be back. And um, did I miss anything the last couple of weeks with the Pirates? I mean, it depends on what you consider miss, but <laughs> uh, they certainly have made a lot of moves. Um, and next up is our good friend and part-time contributor inside the Bucks basement, Anthony DiFilippo. Yeah, it's good to be back on, Gary. Uh, I'm ready to talk some pirates. Let's do it. I am ready. And uh, let's see. First thing we're going to start with is the weekly poll. And uh, with the two trades, which is more one-sided? Archer to Tampa or Tyon to New York? And Archer drew 83%. Tyon pulled 17%. Now, I put this poll up because I saw a ton of people saying the Pirates fleeced the Yankees on social media. <laughs> and I thought, hey, let's see how committed people are to that thought this early on. You know, uh, it's one thing to just spout something off like that when you see um, Miguel Yajure doing something good. It's another thing entirely to... to actually say yes i think that that was a fleecing you know i'm gonna let you start on this one jim what did you think of of that poll question what's your answer why it was a it's one of those things where it's it like you said i think people on twitter you know it's such a there's such a kind of a quick reaction to whenever names or you know come up across your timeline whatever and people just like to fire off a response and it doesn't surprise me that um it was that heavily skewed toward archer and I, and i think that's just simply because right now there there's more of an answer to it and it's yeah. obviously and it and it stings still so it's it, it hits people even somewhat emotionally, I think, because of, you know, what that trade represents and what it did kind of to, you know, the franchise um, as we sit here right now. I think you could, you could probably change your answer on this week to week just based on how these prospects are doing. Um, yeah. I, I look at it like this. The early returns look great with what we got from the Yankees. Um, I don't like the term fleeced simply because I just think it's overused and it's cliche at this point, And we simply just won't know completely until we get down the road a little bit. But um, I, I think when I saw those poll numbers, to me, it's one of those things where People are just, even though it's been what now? Is that three years ago? It's been a while, 2018. It's been, it's been three years, but Glasnow, his, or Glasnow, his starts keep popping up. 
we keep seeing what he's doing. Yeah, especially um, when he does well, people like to make sure you see that. They they skip right over the the uh, three inning starts with you know five walks and you know <laughs> two hit it's batsmen. Kind of reminds me of Keller's starts. Um, boy, um, people are are all over him at times, and then when he does well, uh, then you don't hear about it as much. But I digress. Um, I just look at it like right now. I'm still stuck on the Archer trade just because I think um, it's more of the known commodity commodity, but things are really looking promising with, yeah. with what we got back. I mean, I'll read a couple of the answers that we got here. You know, one of them was from Luge who he tends to be, you know, a little bit on the emotional side anyway, but he says, we've gotten nothing out of anyone we got in the tie on trade and may never will. I mean, very technically, what he says is true, but eh, I don't know that I can say we got nothing out of them. We at least got a good start out of Miguel Yuri, right? And uh, he tends to be on his way back up. So, I mean, I I think I think what you said is true. It looks good on the surface. And Sean Connolly says Tampa went to the World Series with Glasnow and Meadows then got Archer back. Pirates missed the playoffs in 2018, then spiraled into one of the worst teams in, in MLB with Archer. Too soon to see who won the tie-on trade. All true. I can't, I can't disagree with any of that. That's kind of where I lean to. Just wanted to see what everybody else thought. Anthony, where do you sit on this? Uh, I'm going to have to, I think I'm going to have to agree. Archer is definitely the answer for me here. I was surprised that 17% voted for tie-in as the most lopsided trade, especially since we're just a week into these, these young, uh, these young players career that we got back from the Yankees. I mean, Rowanzi Contreras has had two amazing starts so far. Double A though. I mean, you can't see anything from those guys. Uh, I think the, the production that Meadows and Glasnow both put in, in Tampa so far, I think you could with 100% certainty, I could say the pirates would be a better team with Meadows and Glasnow on, obviously. Uh, and obviously you can't, rewrite history in, in that sense uh but i think i i still like tyone too i think uh i think the yankees are he's gonna be i think tyone's gonna be fine i hope he does well i have nothing against him uh but i'm gonna have to stick with archer for now i think yeah it's not about having anything against any of them i i don't have anything against archer either he would you know by all no. by all accounts a great guy but um when you look at at trades like this, it's very difficult to, to estimate what four prospects are going to do throughout their career. I've already seen professionals. Not, I mean, not, not us, not us like pofining on Twitter what we want. I've seen professionals calling for Contreras to be called up to AAA like right now. And yeah, he looks like he's ready. I, I'll give you that. I mean, but a couple games, man, like, Hey, pump the brakes a little bit. Like, <laughs> what's the rush if you get everybody up here that fast and you're not ready because you didn't finish building the foundation i'm not sure what benefit it does i don't understand rushing prospects like that i really don't let him pitch for you know two three months down there and and see see what happens when the league sees that fastball for a couple weeks you know good pitcher i'm really excited to see him just chill a little bit chill on all of it you know, that, that's really the moral of the story. I and mean, I, 
I think too, like when you look at the trade with um, the Yankees, let's be honest. If one of them hits, it's worth it. Oh yeah. You know, Um, you know, that's, that's just, um, that's the hope. I mean, obviously you hope you could get more out of, out of um, Contreras and um, you hurry. Yeah. You hurry. Right. Um, But that's why it's one of those things where you leave, you take Contreras and you look at what he's done so far and there's just no rush. Um, What's the worst that happened? He dominates down there for two or three months and then you make a move and get him up to triple A and then see how he does. But right now um, I think he's fine where he's at. I don't see there there's a need for any rush there at all. Yeah. I I think a lot of people kind of forget that, major league teams when they start promoting people in the minor leagues the one thing they want to do less than anything else is promote somebody and have to send them back down they hate doing it it's not something that is in their dna you don't want to do that to a kid's psyche when you pull them up you want it to be for good so you want to make sure they're ready ready not kind of ready not maybe ready ready And sometimes I think, you know, Neil Huntington fell on the extreme side of that, where he was so afraid to make that jump, you know, that he ended up holding kids back. And you get, you get players like Will Craig out of that, you know? Um, So there is a fine line there. We're we're not a hundred percent sure how Ben Charrington's going to walk that line, but there's definitely a line and, you know, just bringing it back to, to what we actually sent out for Chris Archer. We have no idea about Shane Boz yet. We don't know what he's going to be. And Glass now is a good pitcher. I, I mean, thought he was going to be a good pitcher, but he's a good pitcher. He's turned out well. Chris, you know, Meadows, though, he's a terrible defender to the point where Tampa can barely use him in the field. They put him at DH constantly. I can't even imagine what I would be hearing about Meadows in the field right now, the way they talk about Polanco, who literally does catch most balls. He really does. He just looks awkward doing it and he has no arm. Meadows doesn't either. So I wonder how, I wonder if we're just viewing that through the prism of how badly Chris Archer did here, almost more so than what we gave away in some ways. I think people Right now, with the Pirates outfield situation the way it is, they still see Meadows as an outfielder and a bat. And we don't have that. We're scrambling for any answers out there. But you're right. He, um, he's kind of a nightmare out there. And uh, whether, whether he's on the Pirates or in Tampa Bay, he can, he's really a DH at this point. So you might gain something from him, obviously with the bat, but you'd be putting a guy out there that he'd be no more safer than what we've had to kind of endure the last month or so of the season. There's just, uh, he, he's, he's really struggled out there. And I don't know that I even knew that he was, going to do that I, I did not see that being something that um was a big issue with him early on with the pirates but 
I was just going to, I was just going to say that because when I was here for his short sample size, I don't recall seeing that, but then again, you know, really, really really thinking back, Hurdle didn't want to use him. And there it's, you know, what you're seeing down there in Tampa is maybe a little bit of why Hurdle didn't want to use him. Because, you know, in the National League, you kind of can't afford to play defense like that. Look at look at the way we tore into Tom, you know, <laughs> like this guy comes up here and he makes a couple errors and, and well, I guess not technically errors, but he, he messes up a few times and he just got berated. I mean, his reputation is soiled until he's done. You know, I mean, no matter what kind of approach he takes to the plate, no matter how many walks he draws, no, you know. He hits a home run in Wrigley. Still, everyone talks about the balls he couldn't catch in PNC Park in left field. You know, Anthony, what do you think of, of the importance of, of what we sent out versus what we got back? Uh, I think I think getting almost, I mean, we, almost nothing out of Archer was significant. Uh, but I think Meadows in the field, I completely agree. I didn't see much from him. I think there might have been one play I think it was in Arizona where the ball or the ball hit off his glove and it went over the wall and it counted as a home run. Uh, I don't know if I'm remembering that correctly or not, but that was the one. You might be remembering the the Angels. That's the only one I saw like that. Um, There was one. There was one where Meadows screwed it up pretty badly. I don't remember where it was though. Regardless. Um, Regardless, I think uh, I think I mean I Shane Boz almost completely slipped my mind. And I think that could be what makes the trade the worst for the Pirates because uh, because Glasnow and Meadows they could be they could be good, but I think Boz is going to really hurt them. I think Boz is going to wind up being a relief pitcher, most likely. Um, and I guess in Tampa it doesn't matter; they use all their pitchers like relief pitchers, really. So, ho- however he turns out, though, it's hard to say that a relief pitcher is a good number one pick. And the Pirates have just struggled with that so much. Even the ones they give away end up being a little bit underwhelming, you know. Still, they had just picked the kid. I didn't understand including him as, a, as an afterthought in a trade like that. And, you know, I don't want to rehash that trade forever, but I just thought in light of, the, of what they just pulled off with Tyon, and I do think it's, it's a good trade, I definitely didn't think it was as good as a lot of people were making it out to be right now. <laughs> so I figured let's throw this poll up there. Let's see what they say. And uh, let's read a few more readers uh, here. Uh, Mask Pittsburgh guy, which should be all of us, you know, until today, really, is uh, Archer because he was terrible, total bust. Jameson wasn't half bad. The few minor times he wasn't hurt. Well, there you go. I mean, and his his injury history, you know, is probably the most shocking part of this trade that they got that much for somebody that has not been able to stay on the field and hasn't pitched since very early 2019. So the other side of that is what Jim spoke to. The the Yankees just don't care as much. (laughs) I mean, they're okay with it because they're not going to die. Their organization's not going to get set back eight years from these trades. I mean, they may one day be uh, 
complaining that they that they don't have a good starting pitcher and someone goes yeah remember miguel yahure that you traded for jameson tyon and somebody will go "Ooh, who can we go sign it's just not that way here so you know a mistake like that in pittsburgh it's got lasting effect so even if these trades do turn out that the yankees got fleeced or whatever you want to call it it certainly isn't going to do the kind of damage it did to this organization. <laughs> There's just no, not I, much more to be said about that. No, they're, they're, look, the Yankees are, they're, they're trying to win now. They're trying, they'll, they'll give up a little bit to, you know, um, fast track that, you know, they have pressure there to win. They're willing to take a few risks. It means a whole lot less to them. Uh, if it doesn't pan out, then it does for the Pirates. So um, you, we can use the word fleeced all we want. I don't think Yankees fans or the Yankees look at it like that at all. No, definitely not. And I, I think uh, for the most part, everyone that, that answered kind of had the same tone, which was basically, we don't know yet. So those 17% that voted for Tyon, I don't feel they had a good argument because <laughs> nobody made one. I didn't hear anybody or read anybody actually say why it was a, a, a better trade than the other one. But um, hey, I think we've wrapped up that subject and let's move on to the next one here. After we take a Next up, it's time to discuss trades a bit. Um, there's a school of thought that they should trade everyone. I mean, what's the big, what's the difference, right? You know, they all stink, right? But while I think the team will be open to just about anyone, I don't see them being nearly as aggressive as that. I mean, a quick look at AAA says, hey, sport, slow down. Because <laughs> there is nothing coming, not quite yet. And um, Anthony, I'm going to start with you this time. Um, with that, with that background in mind, they're probably not going to have to trade everything. Who are the three biggest trade chips you see this club having right now? Um, I mean, their team right now. If you if you take a look at it, it's it's not super deep anywhere. Uh, but I think if you want to look at three biggest, I think. Uh, Tyler Anderson is probably first, uh, Richard Rodriguez, I would have a second and then third, it's kind of a toss up. I mean, you could literally pick and choose anybody out of the bullpen, Chris Stratton. I don't think he's been good enough to trade away at this point. Um, I'll go with, I'll go with Kyle Crick as, as three, because he's been pretty good. I know he's on the aisle right now. Uh, but I think those are my top three. Okay. And Jim, how about you? Yeah, I think right off the bat, Tyler Anderson, obviously, if he can keep up what he's doing or, or, or not even to this level, but just being someone who's more often than not an effective starter, he's going to be the guy that you hope to get the best return out of. Um, Rich Rod, I'm going to throw a name out there. I think Sam Howard is somebody that you could probably – 
I mean, they don't have to move anybody. Um, but yeah, right. He's some, but he's somebody, you know, he's a pitcher, you know, he's somebody that has been really effective. Um, those are the guys at trade deadlines that teams need. And you might, they might be willing to overpay a little bit for. I mean, um, he is leading the league in whiff rate. So, right. I, I mean, so he's a guy that I think, um, if he keeps up what he's doing and, and by the way, what a find he was, right? Yeah. Crazy. Um, that's twice. Yeah. That's twice. We fleeced Colorado. <laughs> fleeced, we're just, we're, we're, we're just, we're fleecing everybody these days. Absolutely. <laughs> what do you, what do you think? Is there anybody that, I mean, Frazier obviously comes up, but. I think Tyler um, Anderson makes the most sense. I, I don't, I don't see. Um, I'm shocked. They were able to acquire anybody that had that much talent for two and a half million dollars. And I didn't think he was going to be this good. And I still thought two and a half million was cheap for him. Um, so kudos to Ben Charrington on that one. I do think he's found himself a nice chip. Um, and I think he will bring a nice return. And if he keeps pitching like this, they might very well be trading an all-star starter. So um that's pretty good. Adam Frazier comes up so much. Um, but just looking at what's going on in the middle infield right now and knowing they don't have to do it, part of me wonders if they just hold on to him or try to extend him. Um, if they're going to do that, I think they'd have to jump on that pretty quick because if he keeps hitting like this for an entire season – there's no way it's going to happen and he'll just end up getting traded in the off season. Just thinking of the deadline alone, I'd go Anderson, Richard Rodriguez, and I probably would still think Adam Frazier would be a big target. Um, I base all of my assumptions on trades on how many years of control they have left. You know, the pirates are set up, that almost everybody they have still has a year of arbitration left, you know, if not two. So in fact, the only three that are even really close are, are like Adam Frazier, Chad Cole and Eric Gonzalez. You know, I don't know if anybody's going to trade for Eric Gonzalez. Sometimes people trade for a glove, but I don't know. Is he, is he a, a, a sexy trade? I don't know. I don't know if I could if I could see any real contenders thinking they need to have Eric Gonzalez on their team. I just I can't. I, I like him. I think he's a great defender. I love having him on the bench. But do you see anybody jumping up and down for for him? Not unless he gets hot with the bat, which you know at this point I think he is what he is offensively. We've seen enough of it even just here in Pittsburgh. But then you look at how remarkably consistent he's kind of been over his career with some of his numbers uh, and not necessarily in a good way. I don't think I think they're better just I think they're better served just to hang on to him right now, in my opinion. I mean, if nothing else, he's shown himself to be extremely capable of not only holding down every position around the diamond but excelling at every position around the diamond. You could put him anywhere you want with the exception of catcher. And I bet he'd try if you let him, but he, they got, they got, <laughs> the guy plays everywhere and he, and he just looks like 
he's been there his whole career. It's crazy. And I'm not sure that I'd want to give that up. That said, you know, next year's his last year of arbitration. You're going to lose him after that anyway. If somebody comes a knock and sure. Um, people love to go, uh, oh, Tyler Anderson pitched seven innings yesterday. Trade him. Get on the phone. I mean, they don't understand how this works. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Ben Charrington doesn't go out to Craigslist and put him on a list. It, that's not how it works. You have to wait for need and somebody to actually call. And I also hear a lot, uh, oh, the only person they wouldn't take a call on is Cabrian Hayes. They'll take a call on anyone. That is literally the job of the GM. You take the call. You talk. That's it. You may be laying foundation for a trade that doesn't happen for four years. But you know right then and there, that organization is interested in that guy. That's good. That's good intel. You don't ever pass up an opportunity for that. So while you don't want that to leak, you know, you don't want people going, oh, I, I heard you were interested in trading Cabrian Hayes. That doesn't mean you're going to turn down a phone call. You're going to take every phone call that comes in for any player. That's Colin Moran. That's Stephen Brault. That's everybody. So I think everybody's on the table as far as conversations go. I'm just talking about likelihood of deadline deals right here. And I, I really think like you guys were both saying, Anderson is the number one chip at this moment. Rich Rod, number two. I think that's pretty consistent. Kyle Crick was a, was a cool curveball because I honest to God don't really consider him very often, even though he was really, really good before going on the IL. So, you know, you're, you're probably right. Kyle Crick probably is an option that a lot of people might want to consider. And preseason, I thought a lot about Chris Stratton, but Anthony, you already said, he just has not performed like somebody that I think you'd get a whole lot for. That certainly doesn't mean they won't trade him. Not, a, not at all. I think, uh, I think whenever you want to think about trades, I think the 2020 deadline for the Pirates is probably the best example, just because everybody was hyping it up. The Pirates are going to trade everyone. Everyone's gone. Adam Frazier's moving all around. That means he's, he's as sure as gone on August 31st. Uh, and then, and then nothing happened. Literally nothing happened on that day. They traded uh, Dyson a couple days earlier for some international bonus pool cash. Uh, and then when you think about some of these pitchers, the bullpen started off really strong. And then there's been some guys who have maintained that. And then guys like Chris Stratton, who was pretty good the last two years, even 2019, 2020, and he's just kind of fallen off and he hasn't looked as good. Yeah, I would agree. I'll tell you another player that I didn't really realize when we got him. Uh, I didn't realize that Ben Gamble still had a year of arbitration left. I, I kind of just assumed he was like, uh, you know, a free agent at this point. Just I guess I pictured he's been around for so long, but he still has arbitration in 2022. So they could they could feasibly keep him next year if they wanted to. I mean, he could be a cool trade piece if if he um, hits even the way he did in Milwaukee. Interesting thought, anyway. I think, you know, ideally, I, I tweeted this out the other day. In my, in my perfect world, you know, um, we get to the point where maybe Sherrington can get a maybe move so, somebody with someone else, kind of a package deal, 
maybe to up the up the return for more of an impact type player to get in your minor league system rather than just the quantity that I think Sherrington's been collecting. Not that it hasn't been quality, but he's been going for quantity as well, just simply because we've had so many needs organizationally. I would I would love to be able to see, you know, a, a Rich Rod, Adam Frazier type deal uh, to a team that, you know, really needs those pieces and um, get something really quality in return. Yeah, I mean, I like I like the package you just proposed, but I often hear people say like, um, package uh, Adam Frazier and Gregory Polanco and send them up. I don't think people understand that Gregory Polanco at this point is just an anchor on value. He's just going to pull down Adam Frazier's value and get nothing in return for either of them then. Maybe you escape having to send a prospect in return to have them eat his contract, but you're not going to get good return for that. So I think everybody just needs to kind of embrace that Gregory Planco is here for the season. It's going to happen. And I, I mean, it is what it is. I, I, I think that, the, that in general, trades happen a lot. And, and at this point, guys, I'm going to bring in somebody else too. Uh, this is Justin Verno. He just started writing for Inside the Bucks Basement on occasion as well, and he just finished up a long day of selling vehicles, which I'm sure sucked. But he has reset. <laughs> he has reset his brain on the way home so that he can talk trades, which is why he's on this show. And since we're talking trades, I figured I'd go ahead and throw it right to him. Um, yeah, um, you know the original question you had uh, sent me the uh, Archer trade versus. Uh, uh, the tie-on trade. It's a little hard to judge the tie-on trade, but uh, the Archer trade, there's a little meat on that bone. We have what, um, I think a 0.5 war with Archer in his time with the Pirates. And I think uh, it's almost eight or nine war for the collective Austin Meadows and uh, uh, Glasnow trade as of right now. It's a pretty uh, solid lean that way. Um, but when you look at the tie-on trade, if you judge it just on the time of the trade, um, the Glasnow trade brought Austin Meadows top 100 at the time. Uh, Glasnow had just graduated but was struggling. And, of course, Baz was a helium prospect. And what the Pirates got are four helium prospects. One just entered the top uh, 100 on Fangrass. They're 100 plus anyway. Um, I think that's a pretty good get all things considered with Tyon. I, I don't know how much better they could have done at the moment. But you still got to lean uh, with what you know, as opposed to what you hope for. And there, there you go, everybody. Full transparency. Justin was going to join us for the first segment. And now he's all caught up. So now I'm going to throw the brand new topic to him, which is the top three options here for the trade deadline for the Pirates. Like, who do you really see as the best chips they have? And we've well, already best. we've already kind of washed away all of the anybody is on the table they'll take a phone call for anybody you know we've done all the the different cause and effects and all that so let's just hit the three top chips i mean you got to start with adam fraser and i know that uh, a lot of people argue that if they could have got something good for him they would have in the off season um i think people forget that he's coming off what was a pretty down year despite having a solid war of 0.6 in, in that little time frame. But, uh, you know, he's 
off and running right now, you know, of course you don't, you hate to use the aggregate, you know, the he's on pace for, but uh, he's almost on pace for three, five to four war. If he continues to play this way, uh, I think that, you know, that they should be able to bring a solid return uh, for him. Um, and really, I got to say, I know people would lose their wig, but you got to listen on Brian Reynolds. Um, is he really going to be part of uh, the team when it competes? Or are they going to be looking to move him anyway? Uh, there's a lot of control there, and he's putting together a fantastic year. Uh, I, I would love for the Pirates to uh, listen and see if there's something they could do there. And uh, Colin Moran, I think, could be a sneaky good trade piece. Um, a guy that can play multiple positions, including second in a pinch, which which he did for a little stretch there under, uh, uh, I think it was in hurdles last year. I wouldn't be unopposed to see them run uh, him out there a couple of times to up that trade uh, one value of the, as well. One of the few adventurous moves hurdle ever made. Yeah. You know, I mean, he, it, he rarely stepped out of the rule book. So I yeah, mean, it's it, different. And he, he, I mean, it, we had very little to go on, but he looked fine in that spot. I, I don't know why they didn't give it a little more of a, uh, uh, a go, a little more of a look there. I mean, range is his problem. So, you know, if you have a better option, he's not gonna he's not gonna yeah. play there. <laughs> right. I, I, yeah. I guess, uh, like Chris Rock said a long time ago, just because it can be done doesn't mean it's to be done. True. And I, I think we found that out with Philip Evans recently in the outfield. I think we found that out with you know several position Cole players. Cole Tucker is another great example. Um, that said. If Cole Tucker could hit his way out of a wet paper bag, he'd be playing somewhere. And yeah, absolutely. I don't care where they put him, but that, that actually kind of wraps in really well with, with Adam Frazier because, you know, we've all brought him up as an option and a good chip. And I'm going to throw this out to the group. Anybody jump on this one. Adam Frazier is proving to be what we kind of hoped he always would be, which is, I think, a, a high 280s guy. Um, I know right now he's over 300, but I think he's probably going to balance out somewhere in the 280s area if he has a really good season. He's not going to hit a lot of RBIs, mostly because of where he's playing. He's not going to steal a ton of bases. He's not going to hit a lot of home runs. He's, he's a pretty decent player, a two to three war guy, I think, if, if everything goes well. There's nobody pushing him. There really isn't. And they have him for another year. The return has to be what? for this to make sense because at some point you get to the point where you're doing the team damage by moving him for less than X amount. What is X amount? So, you know, I don't know if anybody follows Joey Boyd uh, on Twitter. He's excellent working uh, values, surplus values and uh, war situations. Uh, he has his sur surplus on the high side of 25. That'll get you a 50 FE player. Um, uh, I do wonder if there's a team reticent to give that, but could we get a 45 plus of, you know, a, a 40 plus in a down the line, or I think that would be, uh, something that I would be real happy with myself. After we go and let everybody else have a chance, I'm going to go back to you because you're going to finally explain what FV means to everybody. Okay. Jim on you, brother. I think, uh, if you give him another month, and he's hitting as well as he's been. I think that changes things too, right? Um, I've always kind of thought he had this in him, uh, you know, as a ball player. And um, 
I think it's got to be for a return that's worth it. Like you said, Gary, almost at this point, at some point, if you're just moving guys to move guys, um, then you're kind of defeating the purpose. So again, it's different if he has somebody pushing him from behind, like if Cole Tucker is ready, right? Okay. Yes. You can accept a little bit less value for Adam Frazier because you just want to get something for him, but you don't want to move out guys just because they're blocking somebody that isn't really ready to compete at this level. And I think that's where the pirates are right now. I think they're at the point where they kind of need value for Frazier if they're going to move them. But I mean, Anthony, you, you've talked about Adam Frazier. You, you kind of sound like you're just sick of discussing Adam Frazier being (laughs) traded. Well, we've been talking about it since 2019. So it's not like, it's not like we don't have time to get sick of it, but I mean, is there a certain level of, of return that you kind of shut off the valve here? I don't have an issue with trading Adam Frazier. I just, I just think we need Adam Frazier right now more than he needs to get traded. So uh, I think, yeah, I think Ben Sherrington has a pretty good gauge of where the perfect return might be for him. Uh, I, I have full faith in him based on his other trades that he's made already. Um, and I don't know. I don't know if there's anybody ready to start at second base if we traded Adam Frazier, let's say next month. Uh, I think closer to the deadline, I don't even know if you could trade him then. I would I would wait until the offseason and, and see what you could and see what you could pick up. But I mean, if he's hitting if he's hitting hot, trade him, see what you could get for him. But yeah, right. just don't trade him to trade him, you know. I mean, the, the prevailing narrative has always been, oh, we'll just slide Newman over. Well, Newman is right now the best damn shortstop in the league. I mean, based on numbers, not like me just going, oh my God, he looks great. We're talking numbers. He is awesome at shortstop right now. And he's making plays that we all said he couldn't make. And uh, I've got no complaints with him there right now. Do I think Gonzalez is better? Yeah, I do. But I, I certainly don't think that uh, Adam Newman, or not Adam Newman, wow. I certainly don't <laughs> think that uh, that Kevin Newman has, has talked himself or played himself out of that position. He may have hit himself or not hit himself out of that position, but that's it. So, Justin, I got to go back to you because, I, I mean, you always throw out the, the, the value numbers and everything. Why don't you just give a real quick overview of what those numbers mean and why they're important? Yeah, so the, when you hear the FE, the future values, it's, it's basically if a guy uh, peaks his tolls. In other words, if he grows into them and becomes what they think they can become. Um, the easiest way to really uh, talk about it to a lot who don't know is if you're a 50 FV player, you're slotted to be at least a, a, an average or better to average player in the MLB. Um, 45 plus right now, most, most fans I know I talk to know of Brennan Malone. They like Brendan Malone. They like that value. And he's a 45 plus right now on fan grass. Uh, he's a guy that has a lot of high, high ceiling, but he also has a lot of floor because of his control. Um, you know, again, if Adam Fraser can bring that type of player, I think most of us would be happy with it. Um, you know, that helium kind of youngster that's growing into his, uh, into his value, into his tools. Right. So um, it's basically, it's a calculation of certain yes. factors <laughs> like control and expectation and mm-hmm. things like that. It has nothing to do with how far away they are from reaching MLB. 
It has Correct. nothing to right. do. Right. So when you, when you hear those numbers get thrown out, they're not just somebody making them up. There, there is actual calculations going on in the background. And the important thing to remember about them, and this is where Justin and I argue sometimes on Twitter, is <laughs> every general manager in the entire league has a different calculator that they absolutely. Use. Mm-hmm. Um, so, at best, we're speculating when we say somebody is a 50 FB player because to the Anaheim Angels or LA Angels or whatever you want to call them, he may be 35. You know? <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and that, that's that's kind of where this this uh, method of trying to evaluate trades starts to fall apart a little bit. But for the most part, it holds fairly close to true. So it is a good method to look at. And on that note, let's go ahead and wrap up the trade segment here. And we are going to take a quick break and jump back into talking about the Pirates hitting. Now, if you stay tuned, (laughs) I promise it's not just breaking down the individual hitting. everybody and i wanted to talk for a little bit about um rick Eckstein. and we all know that the 2020 players campaigned hard for him and then collectively came out and laid an egg <laughs> with with one notable exception and it might be the most important notable um, exception which is cabrian hayes he he tweaked his uh his stance and and the way that he placed his hands and he came out hitting like he never did in the minor leagues. So he obviously helped the most important player in the franchise right this second. Who else is he helping now? Brian Reynolds is just doing what Brian Reynolds always has done. You know, if anything, at least it's my belief they messed him up last year, having him try to swing for the fences a little bit to give this team that didn't have any power some power. He certainly didn't help Josh Bell. He's, I mean, Colin Moran's doing better. I will give him that, I guess. Who else can we really throw in the pile of what Eckstein has affected? Anybody at all. I'll let you guys just have open forum. Anyone have any kind of insight on what Eckstein has done to help? You, you know, I go back to last year when Bell, Frazier, uh, and Reynolds all kind of went into a slump, and um, that slump lasted the whole season, and you kept waiting for him to get one of those guys going, and um, they just all three of them seemed to be in a quagmire. And these are three guys that all have some kind of history. Um, Reynolds not quite as much at the major league level, but um, I, I thought his swing hard and hit it hard approach for all three might have kind of messed them up a little bit. Yeah. Um, Frazier's doing what Frazier has historically done at this point as well. I also think judging him on this lineup might not be the best um, uh, thing, you know, the fairest thing, I guess I should say for him. Uh, when you're, when you're handed rubbish, you, you know, you're getting rubbish in rubbish out, you know? Yeah. Note, I'm not saying why hasn't he fixed Kai Tom? Right. I'm saying specifically, what has he done that has helped? Some of these players that we know have talent. Kevin Newman has talent. Yeah. So for me to, to traipse him out there for a month, having him top everything he hits before he finally 
changes his stance back to what he was doing in spring training. Why? Why does that take a month? That makes no sense to me. No, I agree. In fact, for the longest time, maybe I'm wrong, but it seemed Polanco had creeped back up to hugging the plate. And they had moved him off the plate a couple years ago, and that's what led to that full season of success. And all of a sudden, he started the year hugging the plate again. It should have been an immediate kind of, you know, Plonko, get off the plate. You're hugging the plate again. Your blind spot is that inside of the plate, and it took too long to fix it. So uh, I'm actually with you on this one. I I think it's uh, probably something that uh, uh, Charrington will definitely examine in the offseason. Yeah, I I mean, I think, Jim, it's pretty safe to say Eckstein was not Charrington's guy, right? And here's, no. here's his manager, an ex-hitting coach. How long does the ex-hitting coach, now manager, deal with a hitting coach that is not getting anything out of players? You know, I think Shelton, Shelton said he was a no-brainer. So uh, I don't know if that was just hyperbole at the time about bringing Eckstein on and, um, you know, incorporating his philosophies into into what the pirates want to do but that's how he referred to it at the beginning which you know uh, seems like you know he was um that, that's a big vote of confidence he, there, there's also the, it, it's also fair to say look the numbers around baseball right now offensively that's i true. mean it's it, it's a this is a nuclear holocaust of uh awful awful offensive numbers around the league it's true Didn't so happen last year though no you're right i'm just saying you know i'm just trying to be fair i'm not an next thing guy i thought that maybe he i'm trying be. to intentionally not be fair for once so yeah <laughs> <laughs> but so so there is that if you're looking at it from the bubble of pittsburgh pirates yeah it, it, things aren't aren't very encouraging, but I will say, man, I mean, you just, just look around the, the, the numbers everywhere. Uh, hitters just, I mean, it's ugly. So, but no, I, you know, look, if there was something going on with Polanco, even, I mean, just one guy that you need to get back on track, I don't think we'd, we'd be having this conversation, but yeah. I mean, Gary, you already referenced it. Brian Reynolds is a hitter. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he was going to figure it out one way or the other. Um, so I'm, I'm not going to give him much credit there. Kevin Newman has been an absolute nightmare for the first, uh, what are we at, 30-some games of the season. Um, Adam He's starting Frazier. to come on a little bit now, but it, like well, said, it took an entire month to get to the point where he's no longer topping every ball. Right. And, you know, there's nowhere to go but up when you are slugging 243 on the season, too. So um, he had he had to he had to improve on those numbers. But I I think he's going to get the season. And I think if you if nothing, you know, um, shows if if hitters aren't showing any market improvement, I think they'll make a change at that point. I don't see that it does any good right now with the kind of lineups they're putting out there um, to make any type of a change anytime sooner. Okay. I mean, that's fair too. And it it should also say that um, Anthony, before I go to you, the hitting coach at the major league level 
is not just setting the hitting plan for the major league level. He's setting the, the hitting plan for the entire organization. And other players like Cole Tucker need to be doing more as well. Even the recently called up Will Craig, who had two games that were good, is still hitting under 200. You know, so I hope people don't really think he's the great hope. But Anthony, uh, what have you seen from from Rick Eckstein? I mean, do you feel like he's pulling talent out of them? And if so, this lineup's even more frightening than it looks. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't particularly like the lineup right now. I don't, I'm not a big Eckstein guy. I think when I when I look back at 2019. Uh, and you looked at the Pirates lineup and some of the hitters that they had up there. They had Starling Marte uh, and Corey Dickerson and Melky Cabrera, all guys who are veterans in the league and all guys yeah. who have found levels of success even w- without Eckstein. Uh, so, I mean, I think Josh Bell and Kevin Newman are kind of the the outliers there because they did have really good 2019 seasons. And how much of that is attributed to Eckstein? The players seem to think a big part of it was obviously they pulled for him to come back. Um, and I mean, that said, uh, we should say they all went to management and said to keep the team together because they were close to a championship. So delusion was, was widespread on the pirates and, you know, but, but I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Charrington also really didn't care because he just ended up trading anybody after the 2020 season anyways, after they, they basically saw that this team was really nowhere near championship or, or even the playoffs quite yet uh and i think i think if you want to make a change i i agree i think you have to wait i think you have to wait out the season you're i'm you're not going to be like the mets right now who fired their hitting coach two weeks into the season because the (laughs) mets are in a completely different position than the pirates right now right the mets also hired an ex-player with a name because it's new york and they thought it was cool chili davis had no business being a hitting coach if you ever watched him hit as a youngster that is not something you want instructed I mean, it was fortunate that it worked for for him as long as it did. But I think you might have hit on something pretty interesting there, Anthony, because you did bring up those veteran hitters that they had that almost have gotten to the point where they're kind of coaching themselves, aren't they? Yeah. uh, Marte, Dickerson, and Melky Cabrera are the first three that come to mind. Yeah, but he was able to maybe – maybe he's better suited to take somebody who's already got hitting principles established and knows what they're doing, and he can help them fine-tune. But he's not really doing a good job of pulling it out of youth, and that's what I'm seeing. And and you have an extremely young team, and we're going to have an extremely young team for a while. So unless you're a naturally gifted hitter like Brian Reynolds or – Brian Hayes, who was a naturally gifted hitter. He didn't teach him how to hit. He taught, he taught him how to harness some more power. You know, now that's what they're trying to do with Cole Tucker, although it's not working yet. It's what they're, you know what I mean? Like there, there's a lot of players like that, that they really do need to kind of make some hay out of. Because as bad as Neil Huntington was, when you're picking in the first round, you're getting a decent talent it should almost always net you a major league player. You shouldn't swing and miss on, are they a major league player or not? You may swing and miss on, are they ever an impact? You may swing and miss on, do they ever become a star? Maybe they're never a starter, but we've got people that aren't even making it to the major leagues. 
And at some point, that's either how bad Neil was or we haven't done a good job of training up what we have. And that's what this management group came in here promising was that they were going to train up people. And I guess that's what I'm asking at the end of the day. Are we? I mean, are we, are we, have we kept a holdover that we maybe shouldn't have? And I'm not calling for his head, but I do think after this season, if things haven't gotten even a little bit better with a certain few key players, I think they're going to have to have a real hard look at what exactly they have uh, decided to keep around. And here's the only other thing I would add to is, you know, and I, again, uh, I didn't expect to be defending Eckstein during this uh, segment, but at some point the onus does fall on the player and the hitter to make adjustments, to know what works for them, to, to perform, you know, it, coaching can't solve everything. And I think that sometimes fans sit back and they're expecting so much out of the coaching staff uh, to fix players. And a lot of times, you know, it comes, it really comes down to, can a guy hit or can he not? And hitting coaches, just like you said, with Cabrian Hayes, they can help you make minor adjustments but I mean, they're, they're not miracle workers. They're, they're not going to go up there and um, tell you to do this, this, and this, and you're all of a sudden going to be, um, you know, finishing with a 820 OPS for the season. It, it doesn't work that way. You know, I mean, sometimes I think a hitting coach's best attribute should be to, uh, to not let somebody develop bad habits. And I think that's what we see when we watch Polanco is they yeah. let him develop bad habit after bad habit. And um, I, I think maybe with Newman, you know, constantly swinging over a top, like you were saying earlier, Gare, sometimes that's what their job is to get them to realize that your launch angle is too high. You're, you, you know, you're launching too late and things of that nature rather than it is to fix them and make them all of a sudden the best hitter in the league. Yeah, right. And that's a great way to put it, too, because I'm not looking for Kevin Newman, not Adam Newman. (laughs) (laughs) I am looking for Kevin Newman to become a serviceable bat. I don't care if he plays second or short, but I want him to be a serviceable bat. I think his rookie year set expectations that he probably shouldn't be expected to meet. We all knew those metrics um, behind his numbers were pretty bad. So it's not as though I expected to see a repeat of that, but you also don't expect somebody to drop off the way he has and and to the degree he has. And when you really look at his advanced analytics, I I think I I tweeted uh, Michael McHenry uh, a couple of weeks ago. I've never seen anybody with a negative launch angle in the top of the strike zone before. (laughs) Kevin Newman has a negative launch angle at the top of the strike zone, negative 14%. That's impressive. In a that's, what I, that's exactly what I wrote. If he was trying to do it, you'd almost be impressed because it's that hard to get on top of balls like that. I don't know how I've never seen anybody take a high fastball out of the zone and drill it into the ground with the regularity he has. And he's not like seven foot tall. So it's, it's just, it's almost as though he's just 
not getting something that they're trying to get him to do. Like, I don't think he's coming out of his crouch enough and he's maybe not bringing his hands back enough. So it's, it's little adjustments like that. And I was very discouraged after seeing him perform in spring to come out and just drop it right away. Cause that's exactly what he was doing in spring. So now, I mean, that that's probably enough on next time. I'm not calling for the guy's head and I was trying to play bad guy on purpose in this one because it makes the conversation a little funner, but uh, I'm going to go ahead and give you guys an opportunity to plug yourselves a little bit. And Jim, I'll start with you because I know yours is super cool and fast. Yeah, it is um, on Twitter. Uh, it is for the city underscore 412 or at Jim Stam 22. Uh, Pirates, Penguins, Pitt, Steelers. I put it on for Pittsburgh every day. So if uh, you want to chat sports or Anything that's not politics, let me know. <laughs> As you keep stressing on Twitter, please don't bother me with that. <laughs> and uh, Anthony, I know City of Bridges is your podcast. You write for Inside the Bucks Basement. What else do you want people to know? Uh, yeah, I mean, if you want to follow me on Twitter, it is uh, at City of Bridges P. Uh, if you want to follow me on Instagram, I do post some of my stuff on there. It's uh, at City of Bridges Podcast. And yeah, uh, the podcast, obviously, you can listen to that anywhere. Uh, and as well as, yeah, I write for Inside the Bucks Basement, part-time contributor. All right. And Justin, you just recently wrote your first piece ever for Inside the Bucks Basement the other day. Thank and, you for the opportunity, uh, by the way. We'll see how interested you are in doing that again. Yeah. Um, but why don't you tell people how to get a hold of you and what you'd like to talk about? You know, uh, JV underscore P-I-T-T, all capitals. And uh, really, as long as it's uh, Pittsburgh sports related or even music related, um, and I'm a big beer guy, so any of those topics are, are, are great to uh, uh, talk about. But um, yeah, I, I would definitely be loving to maybe looking, uh, getting another piece out there. It was a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun talking with everybody afterwards, especially people I haven't talked to since high school were reaching out to me. That was cool. <laughs> That's what it's all about. Yeah. Really, the kid make you famous. <laughs> yeah. No, and uh, and I'm of course Gary Morgan. Follow me on Twitter, Gary Mo two zero zero seven. You can find me on Facebook by just searching my name. You might find my dad, but I mean that might be better for me since I don't like Facebook. If you <laughs> <laughs> you want to read anything I write, it's on insidethebucksbasement.com, and of course the fan forum here. And uh, this is the Pirates edition, and we have some good news for you. We're expanding the fan forum. And just this weekend, Jim and I are going to be back at it again, recording our very first edition of the Penguins Fan Forum. And uh, we're pretty excited about getting this started, and it'll be soon to be followed by Steelers, I'm sure, and we're just going to keep it growing. So very excited to have you all along for the ride, and thanks again for a great week. Let's go Bucks. Let's go Bucks. Mm-hmm.